You're listening to the What The Fab podcast, where empowered women empower women through candid conversations, inspiring stories, and tangible tips. I'm your host, Elise Armitage. I'm a digital creator, and I left my nine to five job at Google to chase my dreams of being an entrepreneur. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get into some real talk. Hello and welcome back to the What the Fab podcast. We're on episode 13 and we have a great interview today that I am so, so excited to share with you. Before we dive into all that, just a quick reminder to be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever platform it is that you listen to the What the Fab podcast on. That way you won't miss any future episodes and interviews. You know, we're doing this weekly, people, and so we're going strong. I also would love, love, love love it if you could do me a huge favor and rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps me out, especially as I am trying to grow this new podcast and it just keeps me motivated to keep creating content for you all. I am loving all the feedback that you're giving, ideas for future episodes, all that jazz. You can always DM me at WTFab. Love to hear it. We love to see it. And just a real quick review that I'm going to read and give a shout out to Maddie Rahman. She said, this podcast is one of the few I listen to consistently. Elise is down to earth and knows how to lead a conversation thoughtfully and in a fun way. Subject matter is interesting and highly educational. I find myself enjoying every minute of her episodes. I highly recommend What the Fab podcast and blog to all. Thank you so much, Maddie. That means the freaking world to me. So sweet. I really appreciate your review. And y'all, if you haven't taken a second, seriously, it takes 30 seconds. If you could just rate and review, I, again, would appreciate it so, so much. All right. So today's episode, we are interviewing and chatting with Sarah Jane Case. She's an expert in the Enneagram. And if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, we get all into it. She does a great explanation of what it is, how it can be useful in your life. But it is really, really amazing in terms of understanding yourself better, as well as how you relate to the world, how you relate to others. And we go, I felt like Sarah Jane took me to church in this episode. It was like a therapy session. I learned some things about myself. I learned some things about my partner and I have a couple of takeaways and little pieces of homework that I've written down for myself based on our chat. And I hope that you guys will take away some things and some lessons as well. And just, you know, a few pieces that you can apply to your daily life. In this interview, Sarah Jane does share several different resources and you can find all of them. I will link to them in the show notes. You'll find them at whatthefab.com slash Enneagram and Enneagram is spelled E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. So all the links and resources that we chat about will be readily available at whatthefab.com slash Enneagram. So Sarah Jane Case is an author, speaker, and podcaster based out of Asheville, North Carolina. She works with people through online courses, in-person workshops, and business masterminds to use the Enneagram as a tool for self-exploration, expression, and entrepreneurship. She has been featured in publications like Apartment Therapy, The Every Girl. Sarah Jane also runs her incredibly popular and witty Instagram account, formerly known as Enneagram and coffee, which you can now find under her personal brand and name 
at Sarah Jane Case, where she's got over half a million followers. She authored the book, The Honest Enneagram, which you can order wherever books are sold. And with that, let's welcome Sarah Jane to the What The Fab podcast. Hello, Sarah Jane. Thank you so much for joining me on the What The Fab podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped. Yay. I am so excited to chat with you today about Enneagram and how you became an expert and all that good stuff. You and I actually met just about a year ago at Alt Summit, which was literally a week before the world shut down. And it just feels like a lifetime ago because things are so, so different. But you and I were both delivering talks at Alt Summit. Our talks were back to back. And so we were able to just connect afterwards and chat. And so it's so nice to see you. Yeah, you too. And I was telling at least before, like, it feels like it's been three years and I cannot believe it's only been like a year. We've lived a lifetime. Literally. Yeah. It feels like a lifetime ago because things are so different. Well, like I said, I'm excited to dive in with you today. And you have such an interesting background and area of expertise. And so, of course, your audience that follows you over on Instagram, there where you're over half a million people strong, they are obviously familiar with the Enneagram and what that is. But for listeners who might not have heard of it or it might be new for them, could you give just a quick overview of what Enneagram is and how it's useful? Yeah. So if you've never heard of the Enneagram before, you can compare it to something like maybe the Myers-Briggs or even astrology where there's these different types and they each have um, basic personality traits. The big difference with the Enneagram is first, you can recognize it by the numbers. So there's nine different types and they're each a different number, one through nine. And each one goes deeper into not just what you do, but into why you do it. So it takes us a little bit further into this personality that we've developed. And essentially, it's the idea that we all learned that we have to be something in order to be okay. So some of us learned that we have to be successful in order to be loved. Some of us learned that we had to be helpful in order to be loved. You know, I learned I had to be happy in order to be loved. You know, we all have, so there's nine distinct ways in which we tried to earn acceptance, approval, success, basically okayness. And the Enneagram really reveals intricacies into how we think and how we operate and how that impacts our life. That is so interesting. Thank you for that overview. And so what would you recommend is the best way for someone to figure out their own Enneagram? I know there are a lot of online quizzes out there, but I've read some of your posts that you recommend going a step further than just an online quiz. I think, you know, you can take an online quiz and it'll probably give you two or three results. And a lot of times what people do is they just accept the answer and then they read the type description and they're like, "Mm, I kind of can see this. Mm -hmm. And they don't really feel that deep connection to the Enneagram. And so when that happens, you've been mistyped. Because once you find your type, you're like uncomfortable. It feels like someone read your journal. It feels very exposing. And so if you feel a little bit neutral to the Enneagram, keep looking. So the best way to keep looking is you can read type descriptions on EnneagramInstitute.com. And I really recommend read through all nine and see which one makes you feel the most uncomfortable. Or you can read a a good book. You know, I have the book, The Honest Enneagram. You can grab my book and read through it and you'll probably see yourself pretty quickly. 
Yeah, that's exactly what happened to my husband, Omid, because like as I was doing this deep dive and reading your book, I was like, well, I need to know what your Enneagram type is so that I can read about it. He did a quiz and it said that he was a seven and he was reading and he's like, I identify with some of this stuff, but not all of it. And I was like, okay, well, what was like your second, you know, highest that you scored? And it was Mm -hmm. a one. And he read that and he was like, oh, yeah, like I feel seen when I read that. So are there any particular online Mm -hmm. quizzes that you do recommend? recommend to kind of get people started? Yeah, there is one on the Enneagraminstitute.com and that's a good place to start. There's also one called IEQ9. It's the most accurate, but it's also pretty pricey. So I recommend it, but you have to really want to spend a little bit of money on it. Usually I recommend that one as if people have maybe been on the typing journey for a while and they're like, I really just want someone to tell me what my type is. And that's the one I, I say, try that out. Okay, perfect. And for listeners, I will link to both of those on the show notes. You can find them at whatthefab.com slash Enneagram. And so Sarah Jane, what type are you? I'm a type seven, the enthusiast. I love that. And I totally see that. (laughs) I'm like, let's have a good time. And I want to be happy. Please. Thank you. Please. Thank you. I love that. I am a three with a two wing. And when I read the description, I'm like, yep, yep. I'm like the achiever. I base a lot of my happiness on success and achieving and setting goals. But we'll get more into that because I have some specific questions around Mm -hmm. it after reading your book. But could you also give a little overview about what subtypes and wings are? Because those were things that were kind of new to me and I didn't really know about before I started to do a deep dive. Yeah. So if you look at the Enneagram symbol, it's a circle and around the outside of the circle, you have all the nine types. So on either side of your number, there are two other numbers. So for type three, let's use that as an example. You have numbers two and four, which are your wings. You can access both wings. So some people who are type three feel very balanced with their wings. Some feel like they're not using them at all. And others of us, we kind of lean more toward one or the other. And how this impacts is it's kind of like a flavoring. So you pull in um, skills or personality traits from that other type or potentially even have a little bit of that motivation as well. And it just kind of changes the way your type structure shows up a little bit. So a three wing two is going to be a little bit more hospitable, a little more community minded, whereas a three wing four is going to be a little bit more leaning toward artistic, maybe a little more emotive than a typical three would be. And they're a little bit more solitary and independent, but there's still, you're still a dominant type three, but you just have a little bit more of those types brought in. And then subtypes. So subtypes are also, they're my favorite part of the Enneagram at this point. It's each type has the same subtypes. You have sexual or one-to-one, which is just like we like intense one-to-one connection. They make a lot of eye contact. They like intense interactions. And then we have the self-preservation, which is they're focused on, they're really warm. They like being cozy. They like being safe. They like having a strong network of people around them. And then we have our social, which are really aware of like where they are in the social hierarchy. And so you kind of operate, your type structure operates in a way that preserves your place in social standing. And these are all just the ways that we've learned to survive. Every single type has all three of them, but usually you have one that's dominant, one that's repressed, and one that's secondary. And this is just another way to add flavor to your type. So 
a three, a social three wing two is going to look very different than a self-preservation three wing four. So I love that about the Enneagram because it adds so much complexity and it nuanced to who we are versus just putting us into this box and saying, you're this thing in this box. The Enneagram's like, here are all these different flavors of being a person. And guess what? You don't have to be those things. You're allowed to be something else. You're allowed to step out of that. That's so interesting. And yeah, it's like all these different kind of like nuances and you could meet someone who is the same type as you, but it could present in different ways. When I was reading about the subtypes, I was like, well, I want to be the sexual one because that sounds sexy, but I'm pretty sure that I am mostly the social one, especially like given my job and being an influencer and like you're saying, like the social hierarchy and like all the, you know, external validation of like posting my life on Instagram and my blog and getting likes and everything like it just it was so funny. I'm like, okay, yeah, I think this definitely makes sense. How did you discover and get into the Enneagram and become such an expert in it? Honestly, it started with with my own typing journey. So I was a coach when I found it. So I was helping people to prevent and recover from burnout. And someone introduced me to the Enneagram randomly at a, like a potluck that I went to. And I took the test and I typed, I was mistyped and it took me forever. It took me two years to type myself, Wow. which was like, I wouldn't trade it. Like I loved the journey that I went on, but yeah. And honestly, to be frank, for you who are listening, I read Type 7 the day I took the quiz and thought, that feels like me. And then for some reason, questioned that answer. I think because 7 seemed cooler or something, like because it's, it's like kind of like seems like fun until you get into it and then you get to the truth and it's not so much fun. It's like, oh, there's some stuff in there. So I, anyway, I, I overlooked it and kept searching. And for two years, I searched. And through that process, as I was coaching and learning about the Enneagram, I started to realize how effective this was as a tool to growth and really acknowledging not just, you know, I'm working with people who are burning out. And I'm able to much more quickly access what their motivations are. It's like, okay, a three who's burning out, you're burning out because you believe that you have to keep, you cannot stagnate. You have to keep going. You have to keep moving up. Whereas a seven who's burning out, they're burning out because they just do not know how to sit still and sit with their feelings. And so if we can get to the root of it, which the Enneagram offered, then you're like, oh, all the seven has to do is learn how to sit with their feelings. And all the three has to do is learn to be okay with like, learn to figure out what makes them happy, not just like where they want to be going. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So when I started doing that, I started to kind of bring it into my work a little more here and there. And eventually I was like, I'm go, I'm all in. I have to go. I went and got certified for the first time and then just kept moving. That's amazing. And like such a great overlap. It makes so much sense for the type of work that you were doing. It's almost kind of like the secret like key that you unlocked so you could go even deeper with the clients that you were working with. So I love that. That's really cool. For someone that has, you know, they figured out, okay, I, I think this is my Enneagram type. What are some things or some steps that they can take? And what can they do if they want to dive a little bit deeper? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the first step is just looking at the the levels of health. So when you learn your type, go in and just notice, okay, what are the low levels of health for this number, the middle and the the high levels of health, and then just kind of objectively assess where you're at. Most of us are average to low level. So like, don't feel any kind of way about it because the reality of learning the Enneagram is that you're realizing that you're swimming in this. And like, it's 
most of us, we've we've believed that this is what a good person is our whole lives, like so deeply. You know, I thought like, oh, good people are positive people, you know, and learning like, oh, actually, I need people who help me to feel my sadness and people who are angry at injustices in the world. They're important. That's an important role. And I sometimes need to be more angry and like express more of those emotions. So that's the first thing is really look at the levels of health and then also start to read the other numbers. That's going to help you so much when it comes to interacting with other people. Most of the time we read our type and then we like move on. And But really a lot of the magic is in reading the types of the people that you're close to and getting to understand, oh, they're motivated by these things. Just like your husband, he's motivated by being a good person. So when he's, you know, fixated on something that feels really tedious to you as a three, because threes tend to prefer efficiency. Oh and so they gosh, want to move yes. things fast. And our ones, they want details. They want things to be done perfectly. And so when you start to notice, okay, he's really fixating on these details, and we can remember like, oh, his worth is tied up in whether or not he's doing a good enough job. And his inner voice, you know, our ones, are they have this really harsh inner critic. They really like can always see how they could have done better. And so that offers so much more compassion, whereas most of us before the Enneagram, we orient around our people who are close to us, like, why are you doing that the way that you're doing it? You should clearly be orienting the world the way that I'm orienting in the world. You're never going to get where you're going if you, you know, for a three, it's like, how are you going to succeed if you keep focusing on these details? And so we start to really notice where we're missing each other a little bit. That is hilarious because with like the one and the three, so we just recently moved to our first house. And so we're like in the thick of the process of redecorating and like some small construction jobs. And, you know, we just did my office and Omid, my husband is like the measured twice, cut once, like measure five times, cut Mm -hmm. once, (laughs) like type of person. And I'm like, this is so inefficient. It's going to look great. Just throw it up on the wall. Like, it's so funny. But that is such a great point to kind of take a step back and understand that we're, you know, we're different types. And so we see things a little bit differently of like what the right way is to do things or the right way to, you know, do a process. So to kind of be able to take a step back and, and appreciate that balance too, because oftentimes he will catch mistakes that I don't catch beforehand, because I'm so caught up in like doing things efficiently and quickly and then vice versa sometimes like when he's kind of stuck in this like analysis paralysis I can kind of give him a little kick in the butt and be like all right let's go let's make this decision let's do it so that's a really really interesting point yeah I love that too hearing you say that because in corporate environments a lot of times I'll do corporate trainings and I like to pair threes and ones up like if I'm like if I could put a team together one of the teams I would put together is a three and one team because the three is going to keep the one moving forward. They're going to be like progress over perfection. And the one's going to like proofread everything and make sure things are going out well. And I think that's a really beautiful combination of things. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even thought about thinking through Enneagram types and in a corporate setting and like a team structure. That's really cool. In your book, The Honest Enneagram, 
that's obviously an amazing resource for anyone who wants to do a deeper dive into understanding their own Enneagram type, their partners, family, friends. At a first glance, I was like, well, I'm a three, so I would just read this one chapter about being a three, right? But then I realized like, well, I want to read about my wings and then I want to read about, I learned from your book how you can move into different types based on when you're feeling in stress or in rest. So I read about those, read about my husband's with that lens and ended up reading every single chapter. And like you said, it's a great way to not only understand yourself, but people close to you. Can you talk a little bit more about that idea of moving into different types based on rest or stress and maybe give some examples? Yes. So this is another really cool thing about the Enneagram is it is kind of moving, right? It's living as a system. So each type when they're stressed out, or maybe when they're trying to live out of a different space and can cause them to get stressed out. They like, like as a seven, I sometimes try to live as a one, like I'll try to be like perfect and like get everything done and like stay really productive and stick to schedules and routines. And then sometimes that just really stresses me out. So there's some element of like, this can cause stress, but also if I notice that I'm behaving like the lower levels of health of a type one, which can be kind of being critical or judgmental or having a really strong sense of like black and white, right and wrong, then that's a signal that like something's not right, that I need a little bit of self-care. And so I like to make the joke that like with for my husband, if I notice that the mustard's in the wrong place in the fridge, then all I'm like, oh, I need to take care of myself. Like something's going on here <laughs> because I'm really upset about this very small thing. And then the flip side of that is that we have this number that we go to and rest. Like when we feel safe, when we feel comfortable, when we need to intentionally infuse a little bit of self-care into our life, we move to another number. And so for me as a seven, that's down to type five, which looks like solitude, which is a little bit counterintuitive. Like as a seven, I'm like, I want to be busy. I want to be around other people, like high energy and moving into this five space of like, I can take care of myself. I want to deepen my knowledge. Like instead of just having lots of little bit of knowledge about a lot of things, I'm going to go really deep into one thing. The other element of five for me is again, that solitude, that boundaries, managing resources. Those are all things that sevens need desperately. Now, the cool thing about that is our fives, those are things that they're natural skill sets, but they tend to overuse. And they move to type eight when they're in rest. And that looks like taking command, taking action, you know, putting all of that thinking into behavior because our eights are very action oriented. They're very driven. They feel very strong. They're embodied. And our fives, they can be a little bit disconnected from their bodies. And so all of these numbers, they connect in these beautiful ways. And I like that you mentioned when you read the book and you started getting into your wings and then you looked at your lines and even our subtypes, depending on the subtype of your number, can sometimes look like another number. So by the time we take all of these elements in, we're really connected to almost every single number on the chart. And one of my favorite teachers, Dr. Jerome, he talks about how our brain isn't built. He's a, he's a neuroscientist. He's a neuro doctor. He's like a neurological doctor. I probably butchered that. I'm sorry if you're a brain doctor and you're like, wrong, <laughs> wrong name. He studies um, brains. 
Yeah, he's done his brains. And I mean, he talks about how the brain's not built to just be one number. That's not how the brain works, but we have quicker access points to each of these numbers. So really the idea is like a whole person has every number within us. We just access some of them much faster. So interesting. It's so intricate. And I love the perspective and what you were saying about like when you notice move that you are kind of moving into that, you know, different type of stress, taking a step back and thinking like, oh, well, clearly I need some self-care, not my husband yeah. messed up and put the mustard in the wrong spot, which I think is obviously really easy to do to kind of like push that blame or ownership onto someone else because it's a little bit harder to take a step back and look at yourself and think like, well, what do I need in this moment? So that's really cool. I felt like when I was reading your book, some of the concepts reminded me and kind of overlapped with Strengths Finders. Have you taken that quiz? I'm sure you have being a coach and working in corporate settings. I haven't taken it, but I do have a friend who teaches it. So I'm, okay. I'm lightly familiar. You're familiar. With I feel like every corporate job I've had, we had to do a team exercise where we took strengths mm-hmm. finders. But what I like about it is that it focuses on your strengths. So instead of being like, here are the areas that you need to improve and work on this, it's like, here's what you're great at. How can you lean into that in your personal life, your relationships, your work life? So I, you know, for me, I have like, I'm horrible with numbers. Like I'm not great with Mm -hmm. analytics, but I can be efficient AF. I'm great with writing and like the creative side. So I really like lean into that and then find other people that can support me and kind of build a team around that so that I'm not like spinning my wheels trying like I'm never going to be a mathematician I'm never going to be like a great accountant and I can try as hard as I want but like it's just not going to happen for me so why not take that time and energy and focus on your strengths rather than you know what needs to be fixed or what's wrong with me and just kind of making sure that you're self-aware and keeping it healthy and I liked the concept that you talked about of discipline versus curiosity so I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit yes yeah I mean it's just taking this concept I think most of us have believed our whole lives and we've been fed and trained our whole lives to just discipline ourselves into growth like okay you should just be able to wake up at 6am and like go for a three mile run. And if you're not doing that, then there's something wrong with you. And so when I approach growth with people that I'm working with and through the book and through the Enneagram, it's really about like, let's pause for a second and get underneath why these behaviors are happening and ask ourselves better questions. And I think an example I use in the book is for type nines. A lot of times with the Enneagram, there's language used that I wouldn't use with myself or with someone else. One of those words that gets used for type nines is lazy or like slothful, which I would never call someone and I would never say. And And we get underneath that, though, if we go to explore that with curiosity, like, what's the signifier that a type nine would be considered lazy or slothful? And that's because a lot of our type nines, they numb out. So they like to focus on, they like to just kind of chill out, distract themselves. So that might look like watching a lot of TV or scrolling through their phone or um, shutting out the world a little bit and not taking on too much. But The reality here is that underneath that, they're one of the most receptive types. So they take in the energy of everyone around them. Our nines are kind of constantly aware of how other people are behaving and minimizing themselves on a daily basis. They don't express their opinions very often. They don't interject in conversations. They 
tend to kind of hold in their anger. And so living life as a type nine is pretty exhausting unless they've done some work, right? So at the end of the day, like they're just tired and they just need a break. And so exhausting. Yeah, it is. And like, we don't realize, you know, that gets so weirdly labeled when reality is like, they're just trying to take a break. And so if they want to change behavior, if they want to not watch TV all night long or whatever, if they want to be more connected to the beauty of life, it starts with being more opinionated. It starts with interjecting a little bit more. It starts with creating boundaries. It's not about like, oh, I just need to set my alarm to 5 a.m. and and go for a run because that's not going to get to the root of the issue. And it's going to be another path to shame because like if we try to take the path of discipline, we say like, oh, I'm going to set the alarm for 5 a.m. I'm going to go for a run. We hit snooze. And it's just evidence that we are in fact lazy. Like it's just feeding the monster that we're speaking to ourselves. But if we go in and get curious and we go underneath it and we're like, oh, I'm giving too much of my energy away to other people. Well, then we can actually start to make some shifts and changes that will last. I love that. Well, I felt very seen reading your book when I read, you know, the chapter about the type three. I'm just going to read a little snippet of it because it just resonated so much with me. So you said, I believe that the hardest thing about being a type three is the reality that there is never an end point to all of this striving. Every level of success only reveals a new level to work toward. When this is your standard of self-worth, you find yourself on a constant race to the top. Eventually, for a lot of type threes, there's a realization that there is no actual top. At this point, they wake up to the reality that success is in how you feel about your life and that it's time to start enjoying life where they are now. So that absolutely rings true for me. And I I have had this realization and I'm constantly trying to remind myself that happiness and success are not destinations. And it's just like this continuous moving target. So do you have any advice for how I and my fellow threes can enjoy being in the here and the now, even though we're kind of wired to constantly be striving for the next thing? Mm -hmm. So there's two things that I usually say to our type threes. One is, you know, there's Danielle Laporte wrote a really great book called The Desire Map, which is all about setting goals based off of how you want to feel. And so threes, you guys are great at goal setting, but sometimes you aren't so great with knowing how you feel or even keeping your feelings in mind. It's kind of like you're, you can be a little bit like work robots, right? Like treating yourselves as like your machines. And that's amazing for the corporate people who hire you, right? But it's not so amazing for you. Yeah. And so with that in mind, thinking about your, you know, even your six month goals, your five year goals, those big goals, setting them at as feelings. And then the things that you achieve are the things that will create that feeling for you. So if I want to feel peaceful, will this goal that I have in mind help me feel peaceful or is it going to take peace away? The second thing that I recommend for our threes is a daily walk where you're completely unplugged. And the reason is our three, sometimes you guys have a little bit of a hard time feeling your feelings and even really acknowledging that maybe you're having a negative emotion or, or knowing what you want or what you like, there's a little bit of a disconnect because you're just, you can be so focused on what you, where you're going that you forget to notice where you're at. And so that daily walk, which sounds like torture to a lot of the threes in my life, like the thing that will help you to feel those feelings is just giving you the data that you need to make the decisions that will feed your soul. 
great advice. My husband and I just actually recently started doing what we're calling no sell Sundays because at the beginning of the year, I just released a podcast episode about this as well. But at the beginning of the year, I was just feeling like weighed down by all of the like Mm -hmm. notifications and emails and dings and pings. And like, it was to the point where I was like, if my phone lights up one more time, I'm going to throw it across the room. Like I can't even look Mm -hmm. at it. So we were like, let's just try one day, like putting our phone away in a drawer the entire day. Like it sounds kind of hard. It sounds a little bit scary, but like, let's just do it. And it felt Mm -hmm. so freeing. And we've made it like a, a day or a weekly thing on Sundays. But I love the idea of daily going for a walk where you're unplugged. And like you say, it does sound a little bit like, "Mm, like, I won't be being efficient during that time. I won't be productive. Like, what am I going to do walking around? But I think once I start doing it, I'll probably really, really enjoy it. So I'm going to take a note of that. Thank you. And I want to say like, negative emotions will come up. Like, it will likely not feel good. And like that's the hardest part is that like sometimes our growth feels really bad and we think like this is I want to avoid that feeling, but it's actually it is like a gateway into like more deeper joy. I promise. It will eventually be a good thing. Just if you're a 3 and you try it and you're like this was miserable, it made me cry. <laughs> that's the point. It's, it's that means good. it's working. Yeah, it's working. Okay, I can't wait. I'm going to start today. Quick break and a referral link that you are definitely going to want to use. This episode is brought to you by Airbnb. Now, I'm betting if you're listening to this podcast, you're familiar with Airbnb. You can book vacation rentals, homes, condos, and even experiences through Airbnb. I have a great referral link for you so you can get $65 off your next Airbnb booking. Just head to whatthefab.com slash Airbnb for that link. Now, this credit is for new customers only. So if you have a friend traveling with you in the group who's new to Airbnb, or maybe you're creating a new Airbnb account, that'll be the best way to go about getting that $65 credit. With the panty going on right now, Omid and I personally are really only doing road trips. I can't wait to travel abroad again, but for right now, we're looking at booking Airbnbs within California, like Joshua Tree, maybe Mendocino. Having a home away from home so I can travel safely and have my own space is key. So be sure to grab your Airbnb credit at whatthefab.com Airbnb. That's spelled air, B as in boy, and as in Nancy, B as in boy. Safe travels, and let's get back to the episode. What was the process like of writing your book? Like, how long did it take you? I imagine it's difficult. I hear that it's not easy to write a book. Did you self-publish? Did you have a publisher? Like, what does that look like behind the scenes? Yeah, you know, I started outlining it before I ever got a publisher. I had already kind of been writing, you know, I've been writing about the Enneagram for about a year at the time. And I did get a publisher and we set our deadline. They set a really fast deadline for me. It was like I three months, I think, before it was to be like turned in. Whoa. And I, so I like booked a trip to Copenhagen and I went there for two weeks and I took all of my notes and I compiled them and I just organized them and I like spread, you know, I, um, expanded on them. That's the word expanded on them and just like went in and wrote it. And I wrote like a fiend. That's all I did while I was there. So I just like woke up in the morning, I ate breakfast and I wrote until I went to bed that night. And then I, we had about probably five to six months of edits and formatting and getting it like 
perfect before it went off to be printed. But it was overall like a nine month journey. But it's, it's confusing because I want to say I wrote it in two weeks, but I didn't. It was, yeah. it, was a long, it was a long process. Definitely. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. It was one of the happiest times of my life. Like I just feel so and writing is just what I love. It's what I love to do. And that time in Copenhagen, especially where it's just like focusing on only one thing in in this craft, I think is a signal to Enneagram work as a seven. Like we are spread thin. We're multitaskers. We love to do like a hundred things at one time. And so just getting to give my attention to one precious thing expanded my joy, like deepened my joy. It was kind of like my walk, like my daily walk, focusing on one thing. It was a practice, but it was beautiful. That's amazing. So we're almost two months two full months into the year now. And I feel like this is kind of the time when people's motivation kind of wanes after they've set those New Year's resolutions. Can you share any tips or advice for maybe we could go through each of the Enneagram types in terms of goal setting, habits, motivation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'll go through each of the types and kind of talk about what can demotivate you and then how to get back on track. So I love that. So we'll start with type one. So our type ones, you guys can get caught up in the process. So get caught up in those details and feeling like nothing is ever finished. And so a lot of times too, you will work and then not celebrate. You'll just kind of focus on what you could have done better. And so when we want to kind of re-up our motivation and get back connected for our ones, a lot of that is just focusing on progress over perfection Or even you can think excellence over perfection. Like it can be great, but it will never be perfect. Mm -hmm. And then celebrate it. Like when you send something in, like intentionally look at what you did well and just release the things that could be improved to the gods. Like whatever you need to do, just wipe your hands up and it's not yours anymore. For our type twos, our type twos can be so relational. They're focused on how other people feel about them and how they're being received. And so they can oftentimes get demotivated when they're not feeling like other people are appreciating them enough or are grateful enough for what they're contributing. And so for our threes, one of my favorite practices is to just speak that back over myself. So if I, as, as like a stepmom, am feeling overburdened or overworked and demotivated, I can just kind of like hold my hands to my heart and say, you're a really good mom. Like you're really, you're doing a really good job. And that feels just as good as hearing it from someone else, especially if you get in the habit of doing that. And that can offer you the motivation that you need instead of looking to other people for that energy. For our threes, I mean, motivation's not always your problem, right? But sometimes it's really about balancing that energy out. So with a lot of our threes, there's this roller coaster energy where you go so hard that eventually you crash. Mm-hmm. And what can happen on that crash, which is your move to type nine, and you kind of want to numb out, you zone out, you maybe watch more TV than you feel comfortable with. And a lot of our threes really abandon themselves in that time. And they feel like I'm never going to get my energy back. I'm failing or I'm not being productive right now. There's something wrong here. And there's two answers. One, be gentle, right? Be gentle with yourself in that process because you're here because you're tired and you probably just need a break. But also maybe we can learn to integrate that rest into your day-to-day life. So that daily walk, a little bit of intentional downtime can spread that rest out. So it doesn't have to be so go hard and crash. 
And then for our type fours, our type fours can get demotivated because maybe you're holding on to the negative feedback that you're receiving from people in your life and you're not believing or trusting the positive feedback. And so when we're receiving both positive and negative feedback at the same time and we're only holding on to the negative, then what can happen, obviously, is we start to think that we're the worst. Um, We start to really just think like, oh my gosh, no one thinks anything good about me. Everyone thinks I'm terrible. I must be, there must be something wrong with me. So what I recommend for our fours is to keep note. I call it a pride pad, like keep a pad by your bed or a note on your phone. Whereas anytime someone says something positive to you, you write it down. And then when you're starting to feel like you're questioning your worth, you don't know if you're good, go through and like just read over it and remember all of the good things that have been said because otherwise you might let it pass. For our type fives, our type fives are really motivated by what they're interested in and what they're curious about. And the demotivation comes from feeling like there's too many people trying to get your energy. And so you can put up really clear boundaries and and really big walls, but If you can, do a couple of things can really increase your motivation. The first one is just communicate with the people in your life that you need a little bit of space. Sometimes our fives will just disappear, (laughs) like not tell anyone. And that actually triggers a response from the people in your life to push further in which it gets you the opposite result that you're craving, right? You're trying to get space, but because you're not communicating, people are going to grab for you a little more. And so just communicate to say, hey, I need about an hour to just be alone in silence and take that space and then come back for connection. And then when you're in that space, just try to like pique your curiosity about something new or find things that you're curious about within the things you're already doing because that's going to get your energy back up. For our sixes, our sixes get oftentimes demotivated by feeling undervalued in their role. So sometimes our type sixes, they do a lot of silent work for us. They're really afraid of letting people down. They want to make sure they're doing the right thing. But sometimes the way that they help is by trying to keep make sure everyone's prepared and that can, that can be a very undervalued skill set, especially if you're trying to implement that in the brainstorming phase. So sometimes when we're in the brainstorming phase, we just need optimism, like positive, like, okay, we have all these good ideas. And then we have to go into the planning phase, which is where sixes really shine, which is in, okay, we're implementing this. So what do we need to think through to make this happen? What do we need to think through that could prevent this from being successful? So for our sixes, I say, really know your role and own it and feel really proud of it and don't know when to use it, right? You're using it in the planning stage and not in the brainstorming phase. Because if you come in with that strength in the brainstorming phase, it's not, it's going to be undervalued because it's the wrong place, wrong time. But if you can hone that skill, put it into the planning phase, it's like you get to get the most impact out of that skill set. For our sevens, you know, sevens get demotivated by just feeling like they're too restricted, too tied in. Maybe they're not, they're feeling a little bit bored and like things are monotonous. And so if you want to keep your motivation alive without completely abandoning your life, because sometimes sevens will, they kind of that daydream of like, I'm going to quit my life and move to Bali and we'll start over. <laughs> and Or maybe they do quit their life and move to Bali and start over. I've been not to Bali, but I've, I've done it. So what you have to do is really just change your scenery where you are. It can be as simple as moving from the desk to the couch. Like it can be very simple. It can just be working at the park that day. Changing your scenery is going to keep your motivation going. 
And also, if you can, sevens are great at the brainstorming phase. They're almost the opposite of a six, like that daydreaming, that planning, getting things like dreaming of possibility, get that thing started. And then if you're able to have someone who can complete it, that's going to put you in your zone of genius and really help you to shine. For our eights, our eights are power throughers. Like they just believe they should be able to be motivated 100% of the time and that the strong will survive and the weak will get eaten alive. And so when that's the way that you think, you can oftentimes neglect your body and your, your heart and really just ignore all of the damage that's being done by being constantly pushed past the limitations. And so if you want to, it's kind of similar to our threes, like there's a little bit of integrating regular rest into your life, but more so acknowledging your limitations and being willing to ask for help. That's where our eights will really be able to keep things going for the long term. For our nines, so our nines get are great at routine, but they struggle with starting a routine. And so the work here is in, you know, you're going to get discouraged if you're trying to start a routine because you're looking at it as this really big thing that has to get done. So it's like this big wall that has to be built. But for our nines, it's really about like one brick at a time. Build the wall one brick at a time. Just start really, 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 really small and just get it and turn it into a habit. Because for you, once it's a habit, you will maintain it forever. So get over the initial hump of creating the habit by making the first step teeny, teeny, tiny, and then building onto it from there. Awesome. Thank you so much for going through. I know there's a lot of types, but I know that all the listeners, everyone would want to hear you talk through each of them and their specific type, but then also thinking about it in terms of their partners or the type that they move to and stress. And so I think that was super valuable. I'm definitely like taking mental notes here. So thank you for running through all of those. I want to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk about some of your Instagram content. Like I mentioned, you have a super popular account and you recently posted an IGTV of a coffee chat where you discuss confidence. And I thought it was really interesting that questions like, how are you so confident? How can I be as confident as you? And those are some of your most frequently asked questions that you receive on your platforms. I found it interesting because I receive a lot of those questions and comments too. And I loved your point that confidence isn't a destination, it's a journey. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times we think we're going to like earn confidence. Like if I, I'll just like myself one day or one day I'll wake up and I'll just think, I'm beautiful. You know, like, what is that movie with Amy Schumer? Oh, like, yeah. I'm like 40 or something. Or she just like gets knocked out from a spin class and she gets up and she's like, oh, I'm gorgeous. You know, I think we think that that's going to happen one day. And the reality is, and I think this happens with falling in love with anyone. We do it over time. You know, there might be an initial attraction to a partner, but you really start to love them because of how they show up for you and how they pour into your life and how they impact you. And if we never quite learn to appreciate or notice ourselves on a regular basis, then we don't interact with ourselves enough to have that deep appreciation, which can build into that confidence. But on the other end, it's just like a a daily choice, right? Like we show up every day and we're like, I'm going to try and like myself today, or I'm going to show up today and notice things that I enjoy about myself. I'm going to look for the positive that I bring to the world. 
And I'm going to engage with the world in a way that feeds my confidence, right? I'm not going to follow people who make me feel like trash. You know, if if something's pitching me diet tea, I'm probably not going to take it. You know, that's just not for me. But then also looking, following people who look differently than you, look like you, so that you have like a wide range of what beautiful looks like in your life versus, you know, I think for so long, I followed people online who just looked all the same. None of them looked like me. And they were all face tuned and like it fed this narrative to myself of like what good looking was and what successful was and like what good was that is actually one, not even real. Like it doesn't even exist in in nature, but also is isn't indicative of the wide range of people that exist in the world. And I think beyond just looking at people who look like me, also following people who don't look like me, who have like, there's so many different types of humans. And the more that I spread that thin, the more beauty I see in other people too. So, you know, it just broadens your definition of, of what good is both physically and, and mentally. That is really beautiful. Actually, when you and I were chatting after our talks at Alt Summit, I don't know if you remember this, and I don't remember how we got onto the topic, but we were talking a little bit about body confidence and body positivity, and you said something that really stuck with me. So we were Mm -hmm. talking about a campaign that I had shot for a lingerie brand and how I had posted a photo of myself and just like the way that I was sitting, I had a, a side roll, and you were like, I love a side roll. I think a side roll is beautiful. And that statement was such a shift for me. Like I had just never thought that people might genuinely think that a side roll is beautiful. And now when I'm shooting content, that's like showing off my body a little bit more instead of thinking, oh, this is a great picture. I like it, but I have a side roll. I'll think, I have a side roll in this picture and I look banging. So I just wanted to tell you that because even though it was a year ago, I think about that comment that you made, especially when I'm shooting swimsuit or bra and underwear campaigns. So thank you for that. And I just wanted to ask you, I mean, you kind of touched on this a little bit when you were talking about confidence in general and, you know, how your how body confidence is kind of intertwined with your own self-love journey. But is there anything else you can share about what that has been like for you or any other tips that you can give listeners? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, I do think side rolls are beautiful. And I also think stretch marks are beautiful. Like sometimes people don't think stretch marks are beautiful, but I actually like I don't understand like my brain doesn't compute like why that's a problem. Cause I, and I think a lot of, a lot of men have said that to me too. Like, Oh, it's like a beautiful thing. Anyway, side note. So when it comes to self-love in our confidence journey, I think that there's a couple of elements. I think first, you know, I think about what love looks like in a relationship. Like when I think about like what's healthy love to me, it's good communication. It's trust. It's dependability, right? It's showing up for ourselves or showing up for each other, being with each other in in the hard times. And so when I think about self-love, I'm like turning that inward, right? So I'm building self-trust when I do what I say I'm going to do. I'm building, I'm speaking kindly to myself, right? I don't talk to myself the way I wouldn't talk to someone else. I'm spending time with myself and getting to know myself and asking good questions. These are the things you, they're not, it's not confidence, right? But it's these building blocks of like, I am deeply loved and therefore I know I am deeply worthy and my confidence can come from there, right? So if I, and I think so many, so often I will want that from my partner, 
and I'll be like, feed me, feed me, feed me. Like, give me, give me all of the love so I can like fill this cup up. And, and I can get disappointed in him when he's not filling, filling that part of me up. And instead the work is in, how can I continuously be nourishing and feeding myself? I get from him is a bonus, right? Like everything that my partner brings to the table that is loving and good and kind is a bonus to this already loved girl because I have loved myself so well. And when we love ourselves that well, then we don't need the validation from other people, right? We're not craving like, oh, give me more because I'm like, I'm full up. Everything else is just extra. I love that so much. It's like making sure that you do what you can to make sure that your love tank is full Mm -hmm. and anything else is just like the cherry on top. That is awesome. One more question for you about just kind of managing your Instagram account and having such a large reach. And I know for me, sometimes that when this happens, it can kind of steal my confidence. But do you ever have kind of like negative reactions you have to deal with or trolls or people being like, how dare you say this about type whatever? And and what does that look like? And how do you manage that? Yeah, like all day. And, and I think especially with the Enneagram, because it is so personal, it's so intricate that language can be really important. So if you use like one wrong word that someone doesn't relate to, they can get really triggered and defensive and it's hard. Like, I think that like the reality is that that's very emotionally taxing for me. And I think that that's kind of the way that I spend that for myself is like, wow, you really care about people. (laughs) And like, you want people to feel good when they interact with you and you want people to leave your presence feeling better. And so that's kind of how I soothe myself. It's just like, wow, this is a sign of how much you care. Mm -hmm. And I will interpret your negative feedback as a symbol of like how much compassion I have for you. And, you know, when people are just outright nasty, I just block them. I just don't have time (laughs) for emotional energy or time to do that kind of labor for people. And so I just, I just block people. I feel very okay with that. I think sometimes the internet, there's been for a long time, this belief that content creators should be boundaryless. You know, it's like we should be sharing, we should be completely honest about our good and our bad times all the time. Because if we're not, then we're just sharing our highlight reels, you know, but then sometimes also there are things that are just like ours to hold privately. And we're learning, you know, this is a new industry. We're learning like what is professional here? What is appropriate? What's work and what's home? And I think that a lot of times for me, it just, for me to have like a healthy relationship to social media, I take Instagram off my phone every weekend. I, some weeks, just my assistant handles the whole thing. I just text her the content to post and I can't look at it because I have to really, especially because, you know, I went through a pretty intense set of grief last year and I really learned really fast. Like I have a capacity, I have an emotional capacity and I've got to be, I've got to prioritize my energy. But then, you know, when I have it, I'm here and I show up as much as I can, but I also take breaks and that's been hard. That's been a lesson for me, but it doesn't, I thought like everything would fall apart if I took a week off and it just doesn't, you know, (laughs) like everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's so clear, it comes across Mm -hmm. so obviously that you care so deeply about 
people. And so just kind of knowing yourself and knowing like, you know, if somebody's saying nasty things like, okay, this is a you thing. This is not a me thing. And realizing like when you need to take breaks and how you are going to prioritize your energy is so important. When we were at Alt, your talk was about how you kind of shifted from this life of burnout to where you are now and like a more kind of peaceful state. And so it sounds like you really prioritized your energy there. Can you share just a little bit of how you were able to do that and kind of any tips for somebody who may be kind of identifying with that life of burnout? Yeah, you know, I think I love giving that talk because it, I can think about it oftentimes too, when I catch myself. And the, one of the first things I talk about is how I found that I was repeating the patterns of behavior in every job that I had. And it was when I found the Enneagram that I realized, oh, it's wherever I go, there I am, right? Like wherever I go, I'm going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. And when we get into the Enneagram, then we're able to recognize like, what am I trying to do here really? And for me as a seven, that is, I just love to be busy. I love to entertain every idea that I have. And I just didn't want to be with my feelings. If I was alone and I was still, then I was sad. And, but if I was busy and if I was around other people, if I was entertaining all these projects and ideas, then I could stay happy. And I really like to be happy. you know. And so a lot of my work has been, well, how can I sit with my feelings? How can I be really okay with being alone, being still, being home, which was I used to wake up at six in the morning, leave my house and come home at midnight because I just was, there's always something to do. There's always some way to be entertained. And now I will spend whole days and not leave my house, which some people, that's the opposite of what you need to do. But for me, that is exactly where I need to be. I need to be comfortable in that space and learning to trust that self-understanding and trust that like, it kind of feels counterintuitive, just like with the three in the walk, it's like, feels a little bad at first because it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel like what you are supposed to be. You know, when my husband, like after my, so my dad passed away last year and I cried a lot. Yeah. Yeah, And it's okay. You know, we've worked lots of therapy, but we are, and that's my seven structure showing up. Like, it's okay. I'm fine. (laughs) But But you know, sometimes you're just sad and you can't escape it. There's nowhere to go. And learning to live in that space and love myself there is such a big stepping stone to preventing the need to constantly be busy. And that's going to show up for you guys every different type in a different way. You know, our, our ones are going to have to learn that everything's not going to be perfect. You know, our threes, you guys learn to sit with your feelings and know what you really, what feels good to you and to prioritize feeling over accomplishments. We all have our ways in which that shows up. But for me, it was getting to the root of like, oh, you don't like to sit still. Mm. (laughs) And and that's because it hurts. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for just this whole conversation. I feel like I just like went to therapy. Like we talked about me, we talked about my husband, we talked about all the different types and the subtypes. I mean, this is such a wonderful conversation. I appreciate you so much for taking the time. Um, One last thing, is there any resource, book, podcast, could be Enneagram related or not, but just something that you would like to recommend to listeners to check out that you think will add value to their lives? Yeah, I I am right now. I just finished a book by Annie Downs called That Sounds Fun. And she has a podcast. And it was really good, especially if you're a fellow seven. 
It's really, really good. And I don't know if you meant to, t- t- to share someone else's or if you meant for me to share mine. <laughs> Please. Stamp yourself out. I mean, my next question was going to be like, tell us where everyone okay. can get the book and find you on Instagram. But please... <laughs> Okay, sweet. I got nervous. I was like, was I supposed to tell her about my book? But Annie Donza, that book is so good. It, it is, she's a religious and it kind of has a little religious spin to it. But I, I will say I'm not religious and I loved it. It was really, really healing. And then my podcast is the Enneagram and Coffee podcast. And it's a daily podcast. We do it five days a week. And then uh, my book is Honest Enneagram. You can find that at thehonestenneagram.com. Amazing. And if people want to connect with you on Instagram, you are at Sarah Jane Case. Yeah. Yep. Sarah Jane Case. And then those are the, yeah, those are the best places. Amazing. Well, Sarah Jane, thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. I know that listeners are going to get a lot of value out of it. You are just such a light. I mean, I just feel like you have such amazing energy and like, I'm, I'm going to go out on my daily walk later today. So thank you. Yeah. Well, it's so good to spend time with you. Thank you for having me. All righty. Take care. All right. Well, I had so much fun chatting with Sarah Jane. I learned a ton from this episode about the Enneagram. I hope you were able to take away some nuggets and some value from this conversation as well. Sarah Jane does mention a ton of different resources and recommendations in this episode. So to make it easy for you, I have linked to all of them in this episode show notes, which you can find at whatthefab.com slash Enneagram and Enneagram is spelled E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. I, of course, also link to all of Sarah Jane's resources, her podcast, her book. I mentioned in the episode that I really enjoyed and definitely recommend reading her book, The Honest Enneagram. The intro is a great overview of the Enneagram, and then each chapter goes into the different types. And so, like I mentioned, I was reading about my type, but then you end up getting into kind of all of them because you start exploring your wings and your subtypes, and you can read about your partner's type and subtypes or your friends or your family. So I just think it's all super, super interesting. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It's kind of like a little thank you note to me and it keeps me motivated to continue creating this free content and it also is a really nice way to support the podcast and help to boost it on Apple Podcasts. So take a second to do that and be sure to subscribe through whatever platform you listen through so that you don't miss any future episodes. I have some more interviews lined up that I'm excited about and some solo episodes and topics that I can't wait to chat with you about. Lastly, if you had any major takeaways or light bulb moments from this episode, go ahead and take a screenshot of this episode, share it on your Insta stories. You can tag me at WTFab and Sarah Jane. She's at Sarah Jane Case. I always love seeing your guys' favorite parts of the episode and sharing on my stories as well. Alrighty, it's been so fun chatting with you and Sarah Jane today, and I will chat with you next week.